Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and uh, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1 as we begin a new series in the, uh, these letters of John and take your notes from the outline uh, so you can follow along with where we're going in God's Word. Uh, we're starting this new series this morning that we're calling That You May Know. And there are a lot of things in Scripture that we should know. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, that word, the word know, is mentioned 38 times in 1 John. If a word is mentioned that many times, you know that there's an, it's an important word in this letter that John wrote. Uh, <clears throat> you know, we, we don't have to just hope we're on the right track. First uh, John tells us uh, in a number of different ways throughout the, the letter if we're on the right track spiritually. This last week I read an interesting testimony of uh, a Japanese Christian. Uh, he was from Canada. He was trying to find out his um, uh, kind of family tree and learn about it. And so he asked his mom about his grandparents uh, who still live in Tokyo. And his mom told him something he had never heard before. And here's what she said. You know, when grandma and grandpa met, grandma thought grandpa was this virtuous, really honorable, principled man. But then grandpa became really successful professionally. Uh, he became quite wealthy. And he became very proud. And he was unfaithful to grandma. And at least on one occasion, he was physically violent with her. Uh, he abused her. And then this Canadian uh, wrote this. He said, then at the age of 86, my grandfather received Jesus and became a child of God. The age of 86. And he, he was far from perfect, but according to my cousin, who lives in Tokyo and got to watch him, there was a deep change in his life and he became a different person. On the outside, he was significantly kinder and, and more gentle. He even started to help with the dishes for the first time in his life. Um, it's about time after 86 years, right? But this is Japan. He's a patriarch. He's a former CEO, he writes. And that is very unusual in Japan. By the grace of God, even my grandfather changed as a result of becoming a child of God at the age of 86. You know, coming to faith in Christ can happen any time in your life. Obviously, it's the earlier the better, right? But a changed life begins with a changed heart. And this is, what, this is what Jesus does when he changes a life. And it's not just about doing the dishes, but it's, it's, not, it's about being not so self-absorbed. It's not all about me. It's about others and serving them. And, and it's about growing in my relationship with God. And, and this is the people, this describes the people that John is writing to. Uh, they're a part of the church. Their lives had been changed by Jesus. But there were some issues going on that we'll talk about. So let's read our passage. Uh, 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. 
that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is God's word. So, you know, if you're new to looking at the Bible, the last few books of the Bible were all written by John. Uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, not Jude. Jude wrote Jude, we think, anyway. And then John wrote the book of Revelation. Um, <clears throat> of those three letters, the, the one we're looking at right now is short. The others, 2nd John and 3rd John, are very short. At the time of his writing, uh, John was most likely the only one of the original 12 apostles that was still alive. Um, And he was the only one that did not die as a martyr. Uh, So in addition to those, he also wrote the Gospel of John. And when John writes the church now, he's writing to a second and third generation of believers. John uh, was probably in his 80s, maybe even as old as 90 when he wrote this letter. Um, so they were going through probably a time of persecution. Uh, maybe for others in the church, the excitement of a newfound faith was gone. And there were false teachers that had come into the church. And, and so some were maybe attempted to follow these false teachers. In fact, we know that they were. And that's part of why John writes. We know from the book that John had at least four purposes in writing, and you have these on your outline. The first one was to combat false teachers and expose false doctrine. They were exposing false doctrine. The second was dealing with attitudes towards sin and the importance of genuine Christian love. Love is another word, like the word no, mentioned many times in John. I think it's like 45 times over 40 times that the word love is mentioned. Uh, Third, a desire for the church to be healthy through real fellowship, through authentic fellowship. And then so that their joy might be complete. So the first four verses are like a prologue uh, to the letter. It gives us the gist of what the book is about. Uh, and there are a lot of statements to, to unpack here. You know, I think we've all seen these people on the street interviews when different groups will go into the street and they'll ask people, you know, different questions. And sometimes they're funny. Sometimes you just scratch your head and go, how can this person not know this answer? Um, uh, we've all seen those. But there was a, a group that went into the streets of Philadelphia and asked the question, what is Christianity? And they got some interesting answers. Uh, One person called it the American way of life. That's what Christianity is. Others called it an organization uh, or an ethic. Uh, One man called it a tool used by capitalists to repress the poor. I know. Uh, You get everything, right? 
And when the interviewer tried to help people by asking them the question, who is Jesus Christ? The answers didn't get any better. One person said that Jesus is the pure essence of energy. Uh, Another person said he's a good man. He's our leader. Uh, Many said they weren't sure. They didn't know. The problems that John was dealing with in this letter were a little bit like that. He was combating false doctrines about Jesus. Uh, In the early days of Christianity, think about this, there was a pretty common agreement about what the faith was. But as time went on, heresies began to appear. And a lot of questions with them, like what is Christianity? How important is Jesus to Christianity? And if Jesus is important, what should we believe about him? What is the truth? Uh, So John meets these questions head on in this letter. Um, So instead of an introduction like we would get from the Apostle Paul, where he praises the church generally for who they are, and then sometimes will write out a prayer for the church, uh, what we have here is more like what we have at the beginning of the Gospel of John, uh, kind of almost like a a prologue. and, and then we also have John's, the beginning of John's response to the Gnostics. That was the group that was, in, uh, the, that was leading people astray. Um, so who are the Gnostics? Well, like one article I read uh, said, trying to nail down who the Gnostics were is like trying to uh, nail, a, uh, nail down a flopping fish. Uh, because Gnostics are all over the place. But the word Gnostic comes from the Greek, and you have this on your outline, the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. So the Gnostics believed that physical evil, the, the physical was evil, and that there was a special knowledge that one had to have in order to obtain salvation. So <clears throat> I just out of curiosity looked, I put in Gnostic in San Diego, and found out that there is a Gnostic center in San Diego. Uh, who knew? They said that uh, their goal is to, they're dedicated to the study and practical application of Gnostic teaching. So uh, <clears throat> there you go. They're still around today. So the Gnostics believed that God was great, but he was also impersonal. You could not know God. Um, the special Gnostic knowledge was being able to escape this material world, which was evil, and, <clears throat> and, the spiritual, and focus on the spiritual world, which is good. And by contrast here, and this is on your outline, John presents Jesus as fully God and fully man. As John responds to the Gnostic, he, Gnostics, he talks about the core of Christianity, and what we believe. So the first thing he talks about, and this is number one on your outline, is knowing God through Jesus. So look again at verses one and two. We'll read, look at verse one first here. <clears throat> but what verse one is saying in verse two as well is that Jesus is God. Uh, so he, he begins, that which was from the beginning. Think of how he begins in, in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the word. So that which was from the beginning, which we have heard with our ears, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. 
So the most important thing that John is saying here, and again, this is on your outline, is that Christianity is Christ. Without Jesus, there is no Christianity. So John's beginning here, again, goes back to eternity past like he does at the beginning of the gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, I, I like the way one southern preacher described Jesus. He said, Jesus was the only man who had a heavenly father but no heavenly mother, uh, who had an earthly mother but no real earthly father, who was older than his mother and who was as old as his father. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is eternal. And the end of verse 1 says, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. And the phrase, the word of life here, again, goes back to the the gospel of, of John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, And so this is the word of life. In other words, it's Christ who came and it's Christ who gives us life. So what God is saying to us is all I have ever wanted to express and reveal about myself, I have made known to you in my son. So if God says, if you want to get to know me, get to know my son. Get to know Jesus. The Gnostics had a system But a system does not transform a life. What Christianity has that other religions do not have is the life of Jesus himself. Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of life. The Apostle Paul says this so beautifully in Colossians chapter 1. You don't have the reference, but it's Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17. He says this, For in him... All things, in in Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. And in verse 17 of Colossians 1, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. That's who Jesus is. John then gives us some of the proofs of Christianity. So in verse 2, the life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And so what are the evidences of Christianity? It's one thing to proclaim Christ. It's another thing to prove that, that the word and Christ are true. So right away, John makes clear why he believes that Jesus is God the Son. And he he begins by giving us, and this is on your outline, objective evidences. And in order, in part, to respond to the Gnostics. When John uses we, he's referring to himself as well as the other apostles. And others uh, who lived later, believers, didn't probably see Jesus that John's writing to, but the apostles had seen him. And what John is saying is not only did they see Jesus, but they lived with him. They, they touched him, they, they, they held him. Can you imagine giving the physical Jesus a hug? You imagine how important that is to have that appropriate physical touch with each other, whether it's a handshake or a, a hug, whatever, but can you imagine hugging Jesus? That, can you imagine hearing his voice? 
His physical voice? Uh, <clears throat> so how did they receive this knowledge? Well, they heard it. They, they heard the words of Jesus out of his mouth. And, you know, this, this makes sense because the officers who arrested Jesus said this in John 7. No one ever spoke the way this man did. And, and, and he spoke with infinite knowledge. He spoke as God's, with God's authority. And those who heard him were fortunate. Jesus says this in, in Matthew 13. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And so John also says that the other apostles had, had seen Jesus. And so John uses all these words of the senses to, to hear and see and look upon and, and touch. And the word seeing seems to be the most important. You, he, he mentions that three times in the first three verses. You see it on the, in the first three verses in your Bible of seen or have seen? And I think this is the most important for John because he's describing how he came to faith in Christ, his own testimony in John chapter 20. John 20 tells of Mary's arrival at the tomb and then followed by Peter and then an unnamed disciple who most commentators think is John. So the description of the events in John chapter 20 use three different Greek words. You have them on your outline. So um, it says in John 20, verse 5, that John saw, he was the first one at the door. And it says he bent over and looked in and, and saw, or looked in at or saw the, stri the stripes of, or the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And the Greek word is blepo. It's the most common word to see, to observe. Uh, they observed the linen, they saw it there, but they didn't, that's all they, they did. They just observed it. And then in verse 6, Peter doesn't stop at the door. He goes right in like John did and he pushed John kind of to the side. He enters in and they're both there together and it says that um, they behold, the, the, uh, they, uh, uh, it's a different word, thero'o, and it means to behold with intelligence, to perceive, to, to scrutinize. So there was something there that, that puzzled them. So Jesus' grave clothes are there but the body is not there. But wouldn't the grave clothes have been taken away with the body? So they're puzzled about this. They're, they're, they're scrutinizing it. And then finally, John sees and believes. The third Greek word is oreo, and that's the word that's used in 1 John. And that word means to see with understanding. So in John chapter 20, it says verse 19, but actually that should be verse 8. So you can scratch that out and put verse 8. But John understood here that it was only the resurrection that could explain the, the strips of cloth there that were undisturbed. And so others may doubt, but John observed and scrutinized and saw Jesus, and that insight led him to belief, which is, I think, why the word to see is so important in 1 John. And then the third way that John gained knowledge of Christ was he touched with his hands. And this is very intimate, to touch, to, to again, hug Jesus, to shake his hand, whatever it was. One commentator said this, uh, th there can be no doubt that the exact word is used with a distinct reference to the invitation of the Lord after his resurrection. 
And that invitation comes in Luke chapter 24, when Jesus says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. And then Jesus says, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And then John talks about, so we've looked at objective evidences, now he talks about subjective evidences. And it's around the word appeared. The life appeared, again, it points back to the incarnation. Uh, Verse two, the life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. It's like when John says in John chapter one in the Gospel of John, verse 10, says this, uh, that, that they have seen his glory that the true light was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. The world didn't recognize his glory. And then the second use of the word appears uh, is the life having been revealed to John personally. This one has appeared to us. He appeared to us. We saw him. The disciples saw his glory and believed. So obviously we can't have the same experience As the apostles, even the second and third generation of Christians that John is writing to couldn't have the same experience as the apostles. And so we need their testimony. That's why we need their writings. Subjectively, this is the Holy Spirit making Christ come alive to our minds and our hearts when we receive Christ. That's what happens. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And so Paul writes, the spirit of God, the the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to you. So, but this is exactly why we need their testimony. So subjectively, this is the Holy Spirit coming alive to us. So John's point is that the historical Jesus and personal commitment go together. We see Jesus, but we must be personally connected to him. We, we make a commitment to him. We receive him, as, and we become his children. And this leads to verse 3, uh, and knowing to invite others in. So we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, verse, uh, verse 3, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So the message that John and the other apostles received wasn't just for them. We have to tell others. We have to communicate this to others. And why do we know this? Because of the last command that Jesus gave us. I'm not a military guy, but my understanding is that you obey the last command that was given to you uh, until you receive another command. And what was the last command? It was a great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And uh, we, we have that actually in different forms in each of the Gospels and also in Acts. I would encourage you to go home and you've got the references on your outline. Go home and look all those up. Underline those. Those are all the great commissions given by Jesus at the end of each of the Gospels. So the Gnostics had something very exclusive. Uh, the apostles, on the, on the contrary, were trying to get the Gospel to everyone. And so you have this on your outline. We invite, we want to invite everyone into God's family. I, that's why I was so excited about Fall Fest uh, yesterday. And, and like Pastor Zach said, we had over 500 people, around half of them were people from the community that we want to invite in 
And they were coming in. It was just a great first step. But uh, verse 3, the main verb is to proclaim. And John is saying, as believers, we cannot remain silent. We, We proclaim this. You know, if somehow, by a miracle, somebody came up, you came up with a a cure for, for all cancer, it would be criminal if you kept that knowledge to yourself. You could save hundreds of thousands of lives every year. But what we have as Christians is so much greater. We have the, the, the words that will give them eternal life. And we must proclaim it. That's what John's saying. And so, uh, and, and what's the goal? The goal is to have fellowship with us. And through verse 7, John mentions fellowship like four times. Um, The Greek word is koinonia, sharing things in common. We've talked about it before. But John loves the community of faith so much that he, he wants to invite everyone to be a part of it. Anyone who believes can come in. The moment you enter into a personal relationship with Christ, his life is your life. Through the incarnation, God's family is your family. And you know, that's what excites me about the names that are on the bottom of, of the back of the, wor- of the worship folder. All these names of all these tribes, they are all our brothers and sisters in Christ that our missionaries were responsible for going and starting churches among them. And we will be worshiping among them. That's what it says in Revelation 7-9. From every tongue, tribe, people, and language. And these are people that, that you, through giving, have, have helped reach for Christ. You know, think of all the ways that we can be connected with other people. We can be connected through the sports teams we root for. We're, we can be connected through sports we play, through community groups, for, through whatever it might be, some, our, even our nationality, our ethnicity. But here's what we need to remember because when we have eternity in view and who we will spend eternity with, you have more in common with a Christian from the Ateti tribe of Papua New Guinea than you do with people in your own family who don't know Christ. You have more in common with a brother in Christ from the Philippines or a sister in Christ from Indonesia than you do with people that you work with that you have a ton in common with, but they don't know Jesus. Because you will be with them for all eternity, the people who know Jesus. You know, at our staff meeting this week, Pastor Zach told one of the coolest stories I've heard. Um, Just a warning, I didn't make it through the first service without getting a little choked up here, but... Uh, so Pastor Zach's mom, Lee, I think Lee's here maybe, but or she was, yeah, she was in the back there. So she was at um, uh, Mission Bay Park, and I, heard, I had her tell me this yesterday so I could get it right, but she was down at Mission Bay Park with her grandson Everett. And Everett starts speaking, goes to Longfellow, so he's learning Spanish. He starts speaking with Spanish, uh, in Spanish to some lady who was there who ended up being a nanny for a couple of kids she was watching. And, and Lee started speaking with uh, this gal, and, and Lee is the inviter, and so she said, my son's a pastor, one of the pastors up at Claremont Emanuel. And this lady said, well, I know Claremont Emanuel. 
And Lee was like, how do you know about Claremont Emanuel? And she said, well, I'm from a family of 11 kids. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> and, and I grew up in Tijuana, and there was this group from Spectrum Ministries that came down uh, we have Ephraim here from Spectrum Ministries, and, and they built a home for my family. I'm one of 11 kids. And I remember this tall, lanky guy talking about Pastor Vaughn. And she said they had all these treats in the car. Uh, they gathered our family around. We all prayed together. And um, she said that led to me eventually coming to, leading me to faith in Christ. I mean, I've known of Spectrum for a long time. I've been around for a long time. That was the first time I heard a story like that from somebody random. So how many lives have we touched through building houses through Spectrum? My second son, Jordan, was writing some kind of an essay to get into college, and, and he um, was trying to figure out how many times he'd been to Mexico to build a house, uh, mostly with Pastor Eloy. And uh, he, he, he figured out he'd been down 39 times with Pastor Eloy to build houses. How many times, how many lives? Uh, are impacted for the kingdom? Ah, that's inviting people in. It's like Fall Fest. It's something small, but it's something important. And what's the result of faith in Christ? Well, the f- first part of it is in verse three. You have also may have fellowship with us. And the second part is in verse four, to make our joy complete. So that's number three on the outline. Knowledge leads to joy. So we write this to make our joy complete. Why is this? Salvation is between God and us, but it definitely impacts our relationship with other people. Uh, John's joy can't grow without the joy of his brothers and sisters in Christ, of their joy growing. Christ died so that our fellowship could be restored between God and and man. Uh, But John is saying that his joy is their joy and vice versa. And this will never be perfected in our lifetime. And so we have to know that this is a joy that's pointing us ultimately to heaven and the joy that will be there. And John is saying that there's a particular kind of joy that grows out of fellowship with God and the Father and the Son. It's like the, 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 man, the, the person described in Psalm 1 who meditates on God's word. And it says that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So because as believers we're planted by streams of living water, those, that, that's the river of joy. It's like a subterranean river that's underneath it that we don't see, but it can be dry, it can be hot, spiritually speaking, in our lives. But because our roots are touching the water, we don't have to fear. We don't have to be afraid. Because we have the river of joy in our lives. And so 
I, you know, I, I don't know if, if you guys are football fans or not, but I enjoy watching football. And some of you might remember the name Jim Kelly. He was a quarterback for the Buffalo Bills and a member of the Hall of Fame. And I, I knew he wasn't a believer uh, just because I'd heard him talk. I remember when his son, his eight-year-old son died, and I was thinking, man, this guy just needs the Lord. Well, I ran across a, a, a video recently on, I'm sure you could Google it and find it online, of Jim Kelly being baptized. And I was like, wow. And then I looked it up and found a little bit of his testimony, and, and here's what he said. He said, I'm not a man of many words, and I don't speak Christianese. All I know is that God changed my life. After Hunter, my son died and went to heaven. I was so lost. I was so angry with God. But God loved me anyway, and he never gave up on me. In other words, even if you go through a time of profound grief, even if you go through the hardest of times ever, it, that's why we have to meditate on the word of God. Our roots, if we are doing that, are, are into the river of joy. That's a subterranean river of joy that's underneath all the hard things we go through. Think of Jesus. You know, Jesus lost his best friend, Lazarus, in John 11. What does he do? Jesus wept. Here's the perfect man, and he's weeping. It's okay to weep. It's okay to grieve. But remember to have your roots into the river of joy. And the way that happens is as you open God's word and as you meditate on God's word. You know, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he gives the Beatitudes, all the blessed, blessed are. So what does it mean to be blessed? It, literally, the definition is happy or fortunate or to be envied. Blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts for blessedness. Is that what it says? No. It's blessed is the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. The only way blessedness will, blessedness doesn't come by focusing on blessedness. Blessedness comes by focusing on something else, on namely the righteousness of God and who he is. John says in verse three, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us whose fellowship is with the Father and the Son. And then right away as he says, after he says that, he talks about joy, the joy of knowing God. So let me put it this way. Christianity is not just something you subscribe to. It's not just something that you give intellectual assent to. I believe Jesus is God. That doesn't make you a Christian. I believe the Bible is the word of God. That doesn't make you a Christian. I was a Boy Scout, and uh, as a Boy Scout, we used to give the Boy Scout pledge, you know, on my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country, da 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 da, -da and on and on, and we'd repeat the, the, the Boy Scout 12 laws that a scout is trustworthy, loyal, and helpful, and on and on, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, reverent, I've just, it's, it's 100 years ago, but it's still in my mind. So let me ask you, is Christianity something that you just give intellectual assent to? If you believe it like that. Or do you know God? 
Do you know him? Is he dealing with you personally? Do you allow God to speak to you through his word? Are you speaking with him to him through prayer? You know, I recently was talking to somebody who uh, was going through a really hard time. Their thinking was pretty convoluted. And, and I was like, are you in the word? And he wasn't. And he was listening to all these other people, some Christians, some non-Christians, but, but he wasn't spending his own time in the word and his thinking was messed up. So are you yourself talking with God? Are you yourself allowing God to talk to you through his word? John says, if you do have that kind of intimate relationship with God, then you're, you will have joy because your roots will be in the river of joy. And then one more thing that <clears throat> isn't mentioned in these verses, but is mentioned throughout 1 John. And that's on your outline, assurance of salvation. You can highlight that, circle that. 1 John 2, 3 says this. We know that we have come to know him. We know that we have come to know him. How do you know that you have come to know him? And then it goes on in 1 John, we'll get there later. But if, <clears throat> and, and what John is saying throughout this letter, and this is on your outline, is that we can know that we know God. So if somebody asks you if you're a Christian, how do you respond? And I've, you know, I've asked a number of people that. I'm not here, I've heard a lot of different responses. I hear people say, well, I hope I'm a Christian. I'm trying to live a Christian life. But nobody knows for sure, right? But that reveals something that either that person isn't a Christian or they don't know about maybe one of the most important doctrines of the Bible, which is the assurance of salvation. And so of all the religions in the world, only Christianity, not Hinduism, not Buddhism, not Confucianism, not Islam, uh, not, no other religion in the world, only Christianity gives you the possibility of the absolute assurance of where you stand with God right now. Only Christianity does that. And here's why. It's actually pretty simple. Every other religion says you are saved by who you are, by what you do. Only Christianity it says that you're saved by what somebody else does. What's, but you're saved by somebody else's life. By Jesus' life. By no, no matter how imperfect your life is here, you aren't relying on your life. You're relying on the life of Christ, who was perfect for you. You know, people think, well, it comes across so arrogant to say, well, I know I'm going to heaven. Well, you can know you're going to heaven and be arrogant, or you can know you're going to heaven and hopefully be humble. Because it, it leads to humility. Paul looked at his life in Christ and he says, I'm nothing. I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm the least of the saints. I'm the chief among sinners. But I have life in Christ. So here's another question. Are you 100% sure that you belong to God? In spite of all your flaws, in spite of all your struggles, in spite of all your failings, are you relying on your life or are you relying on the life of Christ? Do you remember the false alarm that went off in Hawaii a couple of years ago uh, that 
made a lot of people scramble for cover. I'm not faulting them in the least. But we have a couple in our church who were there at the time, John and Roberta Morgan, many of you know them. They heard the alarm go off and uh, you know, people were running for different covers and they were like, you know, we know God's in control. Let's just go get an acai bowl. And so they walked across the street from where they live and they went to a restaurant and they got an acai bowl. Not many people in the restaurant. Hardly someone there to serve them. But I know what they were thinking because I've talked to them about that experience and what they were thinking is, we know the creator of the universe and he invented life. He sent his son Jesus to die for me. I know that bad things can happen here and that God will use whatever happens for his glory even in my life, and everything that's going on here is ultimately out of his loving purpose for me. Someday he's going to return. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is the time, and all this brokenness will end. You know, on your outline, you've got 1 John chapter 5, uh, verses 11 to 13, and this sums up <clears throat> really what John's saying. Let's read it out loud together. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may hope? No, that you may know that you have eternal life. Circle that word no on the outline. Highlight it, underline it, whatever in your Bible. Yes, you can have doubts. But look again at this verse we just read. God wants you to know that you're saved. Do you know that you're saved? I hope so. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us all here a passion to know you. Will you let your truth shine in our lives and help us to see you? Not just know about you, but to know you intimately because that's what will bring the joy unspeakable and full of glory and that will most glorify you. Thank you for giving us what we need in Jesus for life, abundant life right here and now eternal life, being in your presence forever. This is the only fellowship we want and need And we know we can only have that fellowship through Jesus. And Father, if this morning you've spoken to someone's heart here, drawing them to yourself into a personal relationship with you, someone that doesn't have a personal relationship with you, will you give them the grace to respond by faith to you right now? In the strong name of Jesus we pray. So, you know, I was looking for a passage from John that would be appropriate to end these sermons with, and I found one in Revelation, also written by John, chapter 5. And let me just say, too, that if God has spoken to you and you'd like to talk and pray with someone, we're going to have some folks up front that you can talk with and pray with. So please take advantage of that, and remember to introduce yourself to the people around you whose name you don't know. So this is from Revelation 5, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb who was slain, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.